Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Vet Method, where we bring team training concepts to practices who want to grow revenues through leveraging a high-performance team. My name is Sanjay Mangabai, and I'm based in Salisbury in the southwest of England. And today, it is my absolute pleasure to be joined by Randy Hoare. Hi, Randy. Welcome. Hi, Sanjay. Thank you for having me. So, Randy, whereabouts are you today? I am in Charlotte, North Carolina, on the east coast of the U.S., so mm -hmm. nice to be working with you across time zones. Absolutely, and I'm guessing the weather's quite good, or? It is very good here. It's supposed yeah. to be a little warm today. The sun's yeah. out. Spring's happening, so we've got pollen everywhere, but the weather yeah. is amazing. Yeah, something to look forward to. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so a little bit about Randy. He serves as a consultant, coach, and facilitator to help veterinary practices create a culture that engages employees, dramatically improves results, and sustains growth. And the title of the podcast is Leadership Development for Veterinary Practices. And we're going to talk about that for the next few minutes. If it's okay with you, Randy, let's start with question number one. Who is your ideal client? Wow. My ideal client, Sanjay, I think is anyone who wants to build a better culture and a happier practice. If mm -hmm. you really think about veterinary medicine, a lot of the narratives that you hear out there are about the amount of stress, the amount of challenge associated with the profession, the amount of compassion fatigue and burnout and other things that we hear about. And if people want that to be different mm -hmm. and not go down that path or have it feel different inside the world they work in, then that's our ideal client. Okay. So basically owners and even staff who recognize that something needs to change or are frustrated by something, you know, stressed out, time poor, even maybe not producing the results they want. That's right. And usually our first call or the first way people reach out to us is if they are a manager, practice manager or owner within mm -hmm. a hospital because they feel the sense that it's their job to help that be different somehow. And sometimes we get to help with that. Okay, fantastic. That leads us nicely on to question number two. What's the biggest problem your clients face, Randy? And how do you help them solve it? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I think the way it gets articulated most of the time is that they feel like they're surviving veterinary medicine instead of thriving in it. <laughs> and that's often how people describe it. And when I say, because it's one of the first questions I ask, hey, what do you want to be different mm -hmm. in your hospital? And immediately you get into things like, I want less drama. I want my people to be more productive. I want us to, to be able to make changes without so much resistance or pain or struggle associated with it. And so it is that feeling that I want to get to a different place. And I, I don't know how. I don't know what that journey looks like. I don't know what steps to take. I'm doing all the things impulsively that feel correct to me as a leader, and we're not making progress. So that really does feel like the problem that gets articulated most of the time. And I think it's real. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. That's so true, Randy. Great. Question number three. What are the mm -hmm. typical symptoms that people experience with that problem, you know, they're kind of pain points. Yeah, the inefficiency, the poor communication, the increased number of mistakes, the drama, and, and really that feeling at the end of the day, like you've 
you've sort of been beat up or barely made it through the day. Like it doesn't feel like a good process that we're executing in spite of the fact that we're helping animals, we're helping their owners, we're essentially changing lives for the pets and the people that trust us with them. That's not how people feel. And so the symptoms are for individuals are burnout, additional stress, and the symptoms for organizations are retention, the retention rate goes down. We're mm-hmm. constantly looking for new people. We can't keep people. People are not committed. They're just compliant. They're just showing up to clock in, clock out, put in their time. They're viewing it as a paycheck. We don't have a team of people producing amazing results. Mm-hmm. We have a team of people showing up and, and getting through the day. And, and that's, I, I think, how it feels for a lot of folks that we get a chance to help. Absolutely. So a lot of symptoms there, You know, anything from inefficiency, mistakes, drama, you know, mm-hmm. constant evolving door of of employees, you know, leaving and trying to recruit new ones. And that uncertainty in the profession, you know, and that sort of, I wouldn't say disappointment, but disillusionment out there, you know, getting through That's the right. day instead of enjoying the day and, you know, and enjoying the difference that we make in people's and animals' lives. Yeah, no question. And it's real and it feels pretty painful on a daily basis when you're in that space. Absolutely. Thank you, Randy. Let's get on to question number four. What are the common mistakes that people make when trying to solve that problem? You know, the things they try that they thought would work, Mm -hmm. but the thing and, you know, and the things they try it but fail. Yeah, I think the the thing I see most people start to reach for or gravitate toward, and it is a mistake, is they start to double down on things like policies or Uh, compliance or punishments or even, you know, instructions and micromanagement. They start to think that, hey, if I need my team to be different or operate differently, then I need to tell them more aggressively how to do that. And it does tend to be a huge mistake in the environment. It actually causes more disengagement in the environment than it does engagement and disengaged people just don't do work well. I don't care what the work is or where they're doing it. Or And so if you need somebody to go deal with a client well, deal with an animal who's stressed out and you've got a group of disengaged people, we didn't set them up for success that way. But we do see lots of policies and increases and things like that. I was working with a hospital recently and and they started to change their cell phone policy because they had two people on the floor that they felt like were abusing it. They were on social mm. media, on their phones, or they were texting and doing things that they felt like took them away from the work. So they created a policy. Now imagine how the people that weren't doing that feel. Yeah. I got treated like a child, even though I was doing my best. Well, why should I show up and work that hard here? Like they don't trust me. They're just making more rules. It feels a little bit more like a prison than it does a thriving workplace in some cases, right? Because I've got now all these policies and policies really don't work. Increased uh-huh. consequences really don't work. There may be a human or two inside our practice that we need to have a different kind of conversation with. Uh-huh. And consequences are part of that. That's fine. But let's not change the entire infrastructure and feeling in our in our business just because we've got a couple of people that aren't doing the right things. Like they knew the cell phone policy is what it was before they started Mm -hmm. texting. Like if policies worked, we could just have one good one. Show up at your best and have a great attitude. That's our policy. Everybody do that. Uh, But they really don't. Nobody reads the handbook. They, They look around them at the culture to see how people are behaving. And that's their definition of good. That's their picture of mm-hmm. what it looks like here to do work. So it's a huge mistake, but I see it happen a lot. Yeah. 
And you mentioned um, an important word or words, team engagement. You know, is that, yeah. you know, sorry, and you mentioned policies and protocols, and that's the first thing people reach to. Is it that they may be, you know, in order to get some sort of engagement, maybe try and communicate why people are doing their job, you know, not just how to do their job, so that they feel that they've got some value, there's some alignment with the business, and maybe they they can have a sense of how they contribute rather than just a tick list of stuff to do. Yeah, it absolutely can help. And when we look at human engagement and the research behind it and how it actually gets created, people want to have some influence, some control, some contribution over their future. We want to build a more collaborative environment. So we might go to a team, and I actually worked with a hospital to help this happen once, where we went to a team and said, hey, guys, the cell phone thing's getting out a little out of control a little bit. How do we manage it? What do we want to do as a group of people to make sure that our focus is on the client? How do we handle that? How do we police each other if we need to? Mm -hmm. How do we build a set of processes that we feel like are comfortable for us to follow, but also not, you know, making us keep our phone in our locker in case we got a family member that needs to reach us? How do we find that happy medium together and work toward that? And now people start to engage in doing it well, and they do start to police each other because they want to keep that opportunity to mm. be able to, to sort of be treated like an adult yeah. in the environment and just make good choices rather than have to react to the fact that they didn't. So engagement comes from a lot of places and the research is pretty clear on it now. And how we do things as leaders to drive it doesn't have to be guesswork for us. Mm. It may be different than our impulses. It now becomes a different set of choices than maybe the habits we have or mm. our current, what we might describe as our leadership style, but absolutely gets us the sets of results that we really, really want in our hospital. Yeah, because engagement then impacts performance. It impacts how satisfied everyone is with their job. And that'll stop people leaving and then stop, hopefully help them enjoy their jobs more, which is a problem at the moment. Okay. It's a huge problem. Fantastic. Let's go on to question number five. What is one valuable free action, Randy, that someone listening to this can implement that will help them solve the problem? What's your top tip, in other words? Yeah, the top tip, I guess, would be defining success for your practice or your team or your group of people. When I go into most hospitals, they know what they don't want to be. We don't want to be this drama-filled, stress-filled, non-compliant, poor-performing, less efficient place. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I will hear. But what they can't tell me, usually, is what do you want to be? And our our brains are so much better at moving towards something than away from something. When we're moving away from something, it's a stressful survival kind of situation and we don't do it well and it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel pleasant while it's happening. We're just running from the tiger, right? But when we are moving towards something as a group of people, it starts to change the game a little bit. Now we have a picture of how much gossip we want on our team. Now we have a picture of how we want to treat each other as we show up and do this work. Now we have a picture of how we want our clients to feel how stressed we want our pets to be, what post-surgical recovery should look like for an animal. And when we're focused on those things, we start to change the way we approach our work. And most hospitals have never done a good job of defining that as a group. Mm -hmm. Who do we wanna be when we grow up? What kind of care and service do we wanna provide? What kind of team do we wanna work on? How do we wanna feel driving in in the morning to work? Mm -hmm. How do we wanna feel at the end of the day? Like if we haven't done that work, 
no one in this hospital can pursue excellence. All we can do is sort of punish our way out of mediocrity sometimes, which actually doesn't work very well either. So we want our team pursuing what really good looks like for us here, mm -hmm. not trying to move away from all the mistakes we make or the bad things that happen while we're here. It's not a good place for humans to be. It is disengaging. And I think just going through that work as a team, even if it's just, what do we want our day to look like today? We're moving forward. And so if people have a definition of success for a day, for a case, for a week, for how their hospital feels, for a culture, then it is really, really helpful. But most hospitals I encounter haven't done that work. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Randy. You know, I think veterinarians, clinicians, people in the medical industry are kind of pre-programmed to, to look for what's wrong, you know, and we that's don't... Right. <laughs> that's kind of all in the training, you know, if you do a blood test for a client and the test results are all normal, the vet is kind of disappointed, really. We don't have anything to do now. <laughs> yeah, right? instead, of, instead of celebrating, this there's nothing wrong, you know, that's, yeah. that's a good thing. And, and you're quite right. My top tip would be to find a coach like yourself who can help us navigate to that place of defining what it is we want, you know, and it's an important thing. If you don't know what you want, how do you get there? We know what we don't want. Yeah, absolutely right. Thank you, Randy. Let's go on to question number six. Only two questions to go. What is one valuable free resource that you could direct people to that would help them with their problems? Well, Sanjay, we are working really hard to, to be a resource for people that do want to build a different kind of culture, a different kind of team, a more fully engaged team. And one of the ways that they can sort of go take advantage of some of those resources is on vetlead dot com v-e-t-l-e-a-b.com we've got a lot of resources there I, I think the other thing that's important if i can give to is also our facebook page we're doing facebook live events every couple of weeks we just did one this week on how to hire more effectively sometimes we um we don't do that very well in veterinary medicine. We mm -hmm. grab the next warm body, but we don't necessarily look for people that are going to help us get better mm -hmm. as we bring them in. So, so that's one of the things that, that we've talked about there. And those resources are completely free as well. Mm -hmm. So I would say both of those places on our, our sort of web presence. Okay, fantastic. And we'll be sure to include those links in the resources section of the podcast, Randy. Okay, and finally, question number seven. What's the one question, Randy, that I should have asked you that I didn't? Oh, wow. That might be the toughest one you've asked, Sanjay. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah. There are so many, and it, it might be sort of how we teach leadership to veterinary professionals, because it's not something, while it's something everybody feels like they have a style around or an impulse on how to do or some idea on how to execute it. It's not something that people have learned as a process. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that we really teach. And a lot of times that's the question I will get from, from hospitals that we work with. How do you help our organization get better? And mm. the truth is that leadership is a set of processes. We don't have to guess about it anymore. We know about the neuroscience. We know how humans respond to feedback. We know what kind of coaching works in an environment to help people perform at a higher level. 
just because there's been enough research done on it now. We can mm -hmm. stick high definition MRI helmets on people and watch them think mm -hmm. in certain environments. We couldn't do that 20 years ago. And so that yeah. knowledge helps us understand how to lead. And so, you know, it's interesting. Nobody would practice using the, the veterinary methods of 100 years ago. Nobody yeah. would, would practice that way. Let's go find a 100 year old textbook yeah. and follow those instructions and use those drugs or those procedures. And yet we do that with leadership all day long. We're following mm. command and control processes and procedures that literally were developed in the manufacturing age, really came to light in the 50s and 60s. We wouldn't practice veterinary medicine that way. We shouldn't practice leadership that way. And there are new processes, approaches, models, systems, tools, and habits we can build as leaders that mm -hmm. help us get the results we really want mm -hmm. rather than just the ones our impulses will kind of lead us to or our most comfortable style will lead us to yeah because it's, it's it's not the things and so we've done a lot of work in that arena to build those models to help give some people some tools that they can use in a veterinary practice so yeah and you, you know and you touched on an important point about this leadership idea because like myself you know you qualify as a vet you get no training on people management on leadership no training on how to run a business and you think all your yep. clinical skills will do it, but they, you know, yeah. probably accounts for about a third of what you need. Maybe a third, you need some business skills and a third, you need at least some leadership or people skills. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, we do need some help. We do need to reach out and, you know, that's not our genius. Our genius is making animals better, but we do need some help right. in, in navigating this whole leadership thing. Like, yeah. you know, like you said, thank you. Wow, Randy, thank you. You know, you gave us some some really valuable insights about how I think to cultivate and even sustain an engaged team because that is inevitably, you know, what leads to what we talked about at the beginning, thriving in practice rather than striving in it. And I'm hoping, well, I'm sure our listeners will take away some really valuable ideas and tips. And once again, Randy, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us today. Well, thank you, Sanjay, for having me. It's an important conversation in veterinary medicine to have, and I appreciate you allowing us to, to have it out there and to, to continuing to put content out there that can help these practices get where they want to go. You're welcome. Thank you.